Welcome to Subscriptions Scaled, sponsored by Rebar Technology. Join us each week to hear from industry leaders in the subscription space, share their best tips and stories, and learn how you can up-level your subscription business today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Subscription Scaled with your host, Nick Frederick. Today, we have Melanie Stout back with us again. If you heard our last episode, you would have heard a little bit from Melanie already. If you haven't yet listened to our last episode, please go ahead and do that first to get a little bit more of a background on Melanie and some of the things that Melanie and Nick have already talked about. Again, Melanie is the, uh, she's a partner at Paul Larson Consulting, and she's back again today to talk more about uh, acquisitions in the subscription space. Welcome, Melanie. Thank you. Yeah, great to have you again, Melanie. Thanks for uh, thanks for the last episode. I found it very informative. I, again, hope our listeners did too. And I think there's some good information there. We scratched the surface on a few topics and we'll, we'll talk about some different ones here today. But I guess, you know, again, given our current COVID environment that uh, hopefully we'll be coming to an end here in the not too distant future. What have you seen in terms of acquisition strategies? I mean, there's a lot of competition out there, obviously right now as consumers are online all the time, right? Um, mm-hmm. Just being at home so much and and just being very used to being in front of a computer. Um, how are you seeing subscription merchants compete for the attention of that online consumer? Yeah, there's definitely a lot more competition in the space, um, especially, you know, brick and mortar have even converted fairly quickly to subscriptions and online uh, more aggressively. Um, a lot of the promotions have been focused on either discounts, reducing costs, or um, offering, you know, more time free, um, as well as really boosting the um, messaging around convenience. Um, You know, as there were shortages all around, there was a messaging of, you know, you don't have to ever run out of anything because we'll make sure you get it delivered every month. Um, So that sort of helped boost some of those. Interestingly, too, what we've seen is with the elections and everything else, there was a big competition in ad buying. So it became more challenging and more expensive for a lot of merchants to do um, some of the traditional advertising they would have done in the past. Mm. Interesting. What are some of the online channels or I guess online methods that that you're seeing? You talked here right there about just kind of ads becoming more expensive. Um, what Are you seeing anything creative that they're doing to try to reach consumers in a different way than maybe they weren't before? Or are they just competing for that ad space? Competing for the ad space. There seems to be an uptick in influencer marketing, um, really getting people involved to spread the word. Boosting the product and the customer service seems to be helpful in retention as well as differentiating themselves from competition. So the, you know, the easiest merchant with whom to transact is the one that you'll probably stay with. Right. Um, And uh, offering the payment methods, any kind of flexibility, basically meeting the consumer where they need to be met has become key. Yeah. Yeah. I think you touched on something there that, that, 
I, I think is key. And in our industry, it's, it's, it's kind of this trend around putting payments into the background and kind of making it fade away from the uh, consumer merchant interaction process. And, and, you know, I think the greatest, one of the best examples of that is Uber, right? The, the way that they've been able to just kind of push payments into the background. It's an app, you press a button, you get in a car, you get out, your card's charged, right? It's just mm-hmm. kind of an easy, seamless experience. And of course, from the online perspective of, you know, Amazon has done that with their wallet service and just kind of having, you know, kind of the payments sit over here. Are there any other things around payments that you've seen that you think are helping with that consumer convenience perspective, whether it's around wallets or other creative ways to pay? Wallets are definitely important. Now we see um, PayPal when that's added often can increase conversion anywhere from I would say like seven to 30% incremental, not cannibalizing their existing card base. Uh, The variation there depends on scale of global versus US. Um, Adding PayPal, if you are international, especially if you're just now expanding to go global, it helps you allow those consumers to use their preferred payment method without requiring you to establish domicility in those regions in order to collect those payment methods independently. Um, so that's a, a key one to add. Um, if you're a kind of uh, app-based or really mobile forward type of merchant, then offering the Apple Pay or Google Pay could be relevant. The market share of those is not nearly as great as uh, PayPal. Um, also, well, it might have changed during COVID, but last I looked, Amazon Pay was also greater than those. Um, so adding those a big, while it might not be as relevant for subscriptions after pay, is becoming um, a really large payment method to mm-hmm. offer. But while it, maybe it can't be used for subscriptions, the installment functionality is right. similar to a subscription, right? So you're billing them every month until you collect to your final um, requirement. So uh, that is huge. We're seeing a lot of merchants adding various types of um, installment payments. Right. So speaking of that, you know, there's, there's, of course, there's the retail one-off transaction model. Then there's the, you know, the other side of the equation, which is subscription ongoing in perpetual uh, recurring, and then something in the middle of either installment or sometimes even seasonal billing. Um, What, what models are you seeing fit best into each one of those? And I, and I bring that up because I think we're seeing ones that you would have never thought to make sense as being, you know, specifically recurring, right? And whether that's like Volvo car rental or, uh, you know, now Panera Coffee Club and all those kind of things that are now now popping up, where, where do you see opportunities popping up to explore kind of different engagement and, and payment models with consumers? I, I think it's limitless, really. I mean, anything that you can do to keep a customer coming back, the areas where it works the best from what we've seen is where you're adding service of some sort, right? There's a value that you're getting intangibly by paying on a regular basis, access. So early access, if you pay, like, you know, some of the shopping sites, if you pay $30 now, you get free shipping all year um, instead of paying $10 for shipping once. Those types of things also will um, help increase loyalty. So now that I've paid my $30 for the year in shipping and Relola, that's where I'm going to go shop now because I've already paid. So I may as well get my money's worth. Right. So the the options are, are really kind of endless. We've seen so many different models ever since Dollar Shave Club sort of changed the thinking of how recurring can work, replenishment, all of the food services, 
now there are potentially prescription delivery fees going through DoorDash rather than going through just a traditional pharmacy. So same merchants, same platform that they're using now expanding into different verticals, um, we're also seeing as a trend. Right. Where have you seen this uh, work against a merchant? And and I'll give you one specific example. Is uh, It was a few months ago. I needed to edit a video. That's all I needed to do. Looking for an online service. Every single one I looked at was a subscription service. And of course, I was like, I need to edit one video. I'll sign up for the month, you know, and then cancel that after after the fact. And that's really all I truly needed to do. And I, I did do that. Of course, I went through a pretty substantial save flow where, you know, was asked if I wanted to continue and then taken through, well, would you like a downgraded product? And then at the very, very end, they offered me the same product for like a third of the price, which was almost frustrating, right? <laughs> um, but where have you seen that uh, work against merchants or actually drive, you know, pretty significant churn? Really, that's the case, right? So if there is something that the only piece you're offering is what should be intended to be a single sale. Um, customers don't need it to be recurring and forcing them into a subscription doesn't give them anything value add, right. then that that will result in chargebacks. I know um, we've seen this on, on others. So you have to be providing something for that service. A lot of the entertainment, like the over the top kind of subscribe to a specific channel have had a problem in sports, everything like that, that you're subscribing to because they didn't have new content. So their challenge was how, how do I keep charging you when I'm not giving you anything? Um, theme parks also were sort of in the same boat, movie passes, all of those. So they had to get creative with what else they could offer in order to keep billing people on a regular basis. Um, so, it, you know, you have to be doing something or else there's no point and you will get very irritated customers, you will get a lot of chargebacks, especially if you make the cancel process very difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let, let, let's move towards that uh, end of things. Talk a little bit about churn and and even going into uh, chargebacks and disputes. But first, as it relates to churn. So let's talk a little bit about voluntary and, and involuntary cancels, but starting with consumer wants to cancel. What What are appropriate save or retention techniques that you're seeing out there today, again, especially considering the environment? For the most part, it is um, flexibility in in the terms of the subscription. Okay. Um, so get, you know, one, any period of time for free if you continue, or um, if you stay for three months, your third month is free, or reduce it from a certain level of subscription, you know, downgrade to or keep keep it the same, offer a discount, offer other incentives. You know, if you refer a friend, then you get three months free. So a lot of different options, pausing for a month or two or three until they get back on their feet. Yep. Allowing ultimate flexibility has been key to retaining people and doing it in a self-serve manner. I mean, Visa has pushed the requirement for any kind of free trial or low intro trial that you then have to allow the fairly simple kind of like an unsubscribe from an email option to unsubscribe from a product. Right. Um, allowing them to do that will actually help your overall service level. It will also help conversion up front because now people are less um, inclined to have a fear of commitment because right. they know they can escape it quickly. Right, less apprehensive on the front end, right? If they know that they can cancel easily. Mm -hmm. And that's so. one of the benefits too of a wallet. So if you subscribe through PayPal, you can just go to PayPal to cancel. 
Right. And that's why a lot of consumers do prefer that because they know they're not going to have to deal with it. They won't have a headache um, of trying to, you know, run through hoops in order to cancel big sales pitch on the phone. Yeah. Yeah. And seeing all of their subscriptions in one place, right. It can be hard right. to go through bank statements and uh, figure out what's a one-time charges versus recurring. So that there's yeah. that added benefit as well. And banks are doing that now too. I actually got a notice on my bank of America app the other day. Um, it looks like you have a recurring payment coming up. Click here to see all of your subscriptions and cancel, right? Or see if you want to cancel. They didn't yeah. allow me to cancel through the app, but just to notify me that I could. Know, know that it's there, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the on the involuntary side, primarily as it relates to, to declined payments, are, are you seeing an uptick in a certain type of decline over the year or is it kind of just been more of the same? Huge uptick in insufficient funds. Um, people obviously don't have money, right. so that makes sense. It's uh, more prevalent with debit cards and prepaid cards, especially as we're seeing the usage of prepaid going up. Credit cards, less likely to have that, but still somewhat impacted. There has been a bit of a spike, too, in lost, stolen um, decline reasons. So there's been more fraud, um, some more bot attacks happening this year. Sure. So in years past, we had seen a pretty dramatic uptick in the generic do not honor right reply. And a lot of issuers said it was in the name of privacy, right? They weren't wanting to give too much information about accounts. Have you seen that level off or has that trend continued? That's actually reduced. So in September, I think it was, or maybe earlier than that, um, there was an issue or a couple of issuers who took what they had been formally calling a do not honor and coded it more accurately to be restraint. So we saw actually an uptick in restraint as do not honor was diminished. And there is a push now actually to to go away from that again and go back to the true decline reasons. So issuers will start to provide more detailed, more accurate messaging around declines. Yeah. So what do you think drove that? Because, you know, we've been at conferences for years where we've been talking about on the merchant side of things, just a lack of transparency from issuers, right? Both with with decline responses as well as in chargebacks and with friendly fraud being on the on the rise do you think it's as a result of industry associations and just kind of pushback against the networks and issuers that have caused them to make these changes or or what do you think is driving it i think there's a bit of that there's also the fact that everyone in the space everyone who makes money off of charging credit cards has seen that subscriptions are where it's at, right? Everyone is going in that path, going that direction. So they need to respond to those merchants if everyone is going to be making more money off of it. Um, So it's a priority for them now, Uh, making sure that all recurring merchants can do the best possible transacting that they can is beneficial for the issuers, for the card networks, for the consumers, um, and for the merchants. So they're really getting to um, hyper-focus on subscriptions and and what that means for the merchants. So that plus taking into account what they've heard um, has really helped push uh, particularly Visa toward getting issuers to be more um, transparent in those. Yeah. I think, you know, you've been doing this 20 years, I've been doing it about 20 years and, and it's interesting how there was for so long, so many of these network rules and, and just different government, bodies that had payments related rules that were clearly tailored towards addressing card present and retail transactions and had adverse impact on subscriptions for probably in a lot of cases real reasons they didn't understand right they didn't understand the impact it would have on on recurring relationships but it's clear that 
to your point, beginning to understand that trend and how subscriptions are so important and they're not going anywhere and they're growing significantly and, and more and more merchants want to get into that game. Um, if you think about just the, you know, the stored credential framework now and this whole requiring notification of consumer initiated transactions and merchant initiated transactions through the system, I think just kind of illustrate that to your point, they they get that this is important now and we have to focus on this CNP recurring as much as we need to focus on uh, retail card present as well. Mm-hmm. And actually American Express too has added something similar to that. Um, and they've recently expanded their enhanced authorizations to provide more information. So they're they're also focusing pretty heavily on it. Right. Plus, there's the uh, you know account account updater isn't new, but um, certainly has improved over the years. Getting more issuers on board with uh, participating in the program, getting Amex and Discover onto it, or, or offering something similar to that, and then you know acquirers now offering it in a real time fashion as well. Um, what are what are your recommendations for for merchants of, of various sizes or verticals around uh, account updater type services? Uh, you must use it. So if you're not using it, use it. <laughs> Find out how to get it immediately. Um, yeah, around the participation, that's interesting because we were doing uh, an analysis a, a couple months ago. Um, I think it was three years ago across the board. On average, our clients were having when we looked at their updater reporting there was about a 78% participation rate from issuers. Mm-hmm. Um, and then now this year we're at more like 98% participation rate. So it's definitely increased dramatically as far as participation and therefore your ultimate success. Um, but not all account updaters are created equal. Uh, how you engage it, what you're doing with it, even different um, processors will have different rules around it. And so you really need to look at your overall updater strategy when you're employing it, what you're doing with the responses. There are some responses that come back that we call useful updates. So you can do something and be likely to get a successful transaction. There are other updates that come back that we call not useful, except they really kind of are useful because it at least tells you, okay, now you need to contact the customer, right? This card is dead and done. Um, So you don't have to keep retrying it and you can go a little bit faster to try to capture that revenue from the consumer. Yeah. And any opportunity to be proactive with your customer and be aware of a potential problem, even before the billing is certainly going to be helpful than being reactive to a hard decline, hard or soft decline for that matter. Correct. On the, uh, on, uh, on the dispute side of things. So customer purchased the product and later is disputing for a variety of reasons, whether that's, you know, didn't get didn't get the goods in the case of physical goods or didn't feel like the, the service was delivered as promised, but also moving into things like friendly fraud, uh, which, of course, you know, one person, you know, may have bought something and later have buyer's remorse or a different cardholder on the account purchased something and the one paying the bill didn't recognize. What, what are, you know, kind of some more uh, contemporary ways that you think merchants should address this given the rise in, in friendly fraud? As the rules have changed too with disclosures, so that uh, more requirements are out there for right. really notifying consumers you're entering into a subscription, we'll, I think we'll start to see some of the friendly fraud go down. It'll obviously still happen. There's still some gaming. We're also seeing some of the um, traditional gamers, rather than just charging it back, they're instead using prepaid for that low intro offer, sure. and then they know that they can't be billed again. But, you know, it's really just being upfront 
Um, there was, you know, 80s and 90s, the model was let's try to sneak it by them without them knowing that we're actually going to build them again. But now the best way to compete and to retain your customers is to be upfront, let them know what they're getting, let them know when they're getting it, allow them the flexibility to change it if they need to, but also just providing the service that you say you're going to provide, provide the value that's there that you're saying you're going to provide. Um, and you'll end up having happier customers for the long haul. Even if you have fewer upfront, you'll have higher quality, usually more profitably. Right. So uh, earlier this year, Netflix, of course, announced that they had looked at dormant accounts, those that weren't really using the service, getting the value out of it and uh, proactively canceling those, or at least notifying customers that they were going to and deciding if they wanted to keep it. Is that is that one of those effective strategies that you see? And have, have any you've seen any merchants do anything similar that you think is in the best interest of of consumers? Maybe not in the best interest of the merchant themselves, but um, you know, it's kind of certainly from a longer term perspective for Netflix. Kind of illustrates that yeah, they care about their customers. They're going to do the right thing rather than just you know back to the old '80s and '90s model of eh, let's just set up this recurring arrangement and hope they forget about it. Yeah, I mean that action got them a lot of positive press, right? It gives them a lot of good feels with the consumer base. And it also probably uh, prevented a number of chargebacks. So what you might have is you'll bill someone for six months and then they say, oh, wait, I haven't used this for six months when they finally notice it. And then they charge back all six of those. So there could have been some ulterior motives, but I've seen while you're still billing them, they're not using it, contacting them, to get feedback, not necessarily proactively canceling them, but to get feedback. Why aren't you using it? What can we do to improve the service to make you happier? And there's always the risk that you'll generate cancels as a result of that, yeah. but you also might get some really valuable product feedback and have you know less chargeback risk down the road. Yeah, I actually uh, was working with a merchant and they went so far as to look at a specific channel and and marketing partner that they were working with that was driving a high number of chargebacks and and disputes and looking into kind of just the general practices around acquisition there. And after a lot of deliberation and some really, really good efforts to try to correct the problem with those partners being unable to do it, just decided to exit that that those channels altogether, cancel all of those customers, refunded everything that they had paid because they just didn't feel like it was, you know, right by those consumers that they were, you know, while some were undoubtedly legitimate and they did understand there were too many that didn't and they decided right. to be proactive about it. And I, I think just in that, in today's environment of it's all about engagement and sh- demonstrating value, that would, that was definitely a good move. Yeah. And sometimes your processor could charge a lot for chargebacks. So if you're paying $20 or $15 per chargeback and your cost, your product cost is $9, <laughs> it might not make sense if you're risking 70% chargeback rate. Yeah, you're upside down really, really fast, let alone if you start to get into the monitoring programs and get into fines or, and that sort of thing, which nobody okay. wants to do. So yeah, absolutely. There, there's the economic decisions of it, you know, the models you can run. Great. Well, once again, Melanie, thank you so much for so much great insight today. You know, we've talked about a lot of good good topics, but inevitably, I, I hope our listeners got in, inform, good information out of it. But if they want to learn more, how can they get in get in touch with you to uh, to start a conversation? They can find me on LinkedIn um, under Melanie Stout. They can email me at and this is a long email address, but mstout at paullarsonconsulting.com um, or visit our website paullarsonconsulting.com to find out more. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Melanie. Really appreciate the insights. Thanks, Nick. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Subscription Scaled, sponsored by Rebar Technology. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network. 